Hello, and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great. Episode 10. Alexander versus Darius. Round 2. This time, it's personal. Last week, we covered Alexander's journey to the Oracle of Ammon at Siwa looked at whether Alexander actually thought he was a god, introduced the governing system of Alexander's empire, and covered the Aegis Revolt, leaving him entire in the summer of 331 BC. This week, we'll take him east, and cover his greatest and most difficult battle to date. The Battle of Galgamela. Right, let's go. We begin in Tyre. Well... Alexander left Tyre, and headed east. Alexander finally felt comfortable with the idea of heading east, having captured the whole of the eastern Mediterranean seaboard. In this year, Aegis would die, and Pharnabasis's war would collapse. There was nothing keeping him from going after Darius. Going northeast, Alexander reached the Euphrates River, expecting resistance but the Persian force left to guard the river fled as soon as they heard of Alexander's advance. Having crossed the river, the Macedonians carried on heading northeast. On the march, they took Persian prisoners, who revealed that Darius had gathered a large force by the river Tigris, and would prevent Alexander from crossing it. But once Alexander reached the Tigris, he found no sign of Darius. Once he crossed the river... He allowed his men to rest. Before we continue, there are two side stories I'd like to go into. Firstly, Plutarch reports that Alexander's army began attacking itself. For fun. Yes, you heard me. The account which Plutarch ascribes to Eratosthenes states that on the march to the Tigris, Alexander's men divided themselves into two armies. For sports, they each appointed a commander, who they named Alexander and Darius. They threw clods of earth at each other. These weapons quickly turned into fists, which quickly turned into stones and clubs, with more and more men joining in. Once Alexander heard, he decided that the battle should be decided by a single combat between the two leaders. Alexander gave his armour and weapons to the mock Alexander, and Philotas gave his armour and weapons to the mock Darius. The whole army watched the duel, seeing it as an omen for their own coming battle. The Alexander eventually won the fight, and was rewarded with twelve villages, and the right to wear Persian dress. This is interesting, as it shows Alexander using Persian dress as a reward at this stage in the campaign a sign of things to come. However, this point is somewhat overridden, as it is almost certainly fictitious. Plutarch himself doubts its reliability. The other anecdote is one that, once he made camp, having crossed the Tigris, there was an almost total eclipse of the moon. Being faced with this, Alexander did the obvious thing, and made a sacrifice. Aristander, said that Alexander would be successful. Interestingly, his logic was that, just as the moon had failed, so would Darius. 
the battle would also be fought within the month. I'm presuming that his logic for this was that, as the moon was involved, it meant one lunar cycle. Having rested, Alexander once again went on the march, heading downstream along the Tigris. Four days after the crossing, his scouts reported that Persian cavalry had been sighted nearby on open ground, but they didn't know how many there were exactly. After more scouts arrived, it became clear that the force was not above 1,000. Alexander immediately attacked with the small force, with the rest of the army following at its own pace. Just as with the force guarding the Euphrates, as soon as they saw Alexander, they ran for their lives. Most escaped, but a few whose horses couldn't stand the pace were captured. They revealed that Darius was not far away, and he had a powerful force. Alexander's force was 47,000 strong, which was about 40,000 infantry and 7,000 cavalry. Darius had been collecting a force from across his empire, and the ancient sources state Darius's force at 1 million strong. Was Darius's army one million strong? Eh, no. Modern estimates put Darius's force at at least 50,000. But estimates go up to and above 100,000. If we say the force was around 90,000, it would be roughly 50,000 infantry, 40,000 cavalry, 1 to 2,000 archers, and not forgetting... 15 war elephants. Darius's army had taken up position on the plains about 75 miles from Arbella, at Gaugamela, which means the House of the Camel, as an ancient king once escaped from enemy on a camel, and assigned the revenue from the surrounded villages to the upkeep of that camel. Already a plain, Darius was going to make sure he avoided the debacle at Isis by sending out his troops to flatten the ground. Everything was going to be perfect. Nothing would be left to chance. Once Alexander found out where Darius was located, he stayed where he was, which was about seven miles away from Darius, for four days, allowing his men to rest. Alexander decided to leave the animals behind, along with those unfit for service, and then set out in the night, in time to engage the Persians at dawn. Reports came to Darius that Alexander was on the move, and he ordered his men to battle stations. It was October 331 BC. Battle was imminent. As Alexander approached, he couldn't see Darius, as there was a ridge of high ground in between the two forces. Once Alexander reached the crest and began his descent, he ordered his troops to halt and sent for his officers. They needed a plan. Should they attack or wait? Parmenio advised they wait just long enough to make a careful reconnaissance of the ground. As far as they knew, there may be hidden traps, trenches, or stakes, and they could also find out more about their enemy. 
After reconnaissance had been made, he recalled his officers for a second meeting. He said that there was no need to encourage them, as their previous battles were inspiration enough. He just asked that every man do his best, and be disciplined. For if just one person neglected their duty, the whole army would be in danger. Alexander then dismissed them, and ordered the troops to eat and rest. At this point, Parmenia would advise that Alexander make a night attack. This, well, makes sense. I cannot stress enough how difficult this battle was going to be. Numbers are an advantage, and Alexander was seriously outnumbered. If Alexander was going to win, it makes sense to try and swing things in his advantage. By fighting at night, his men wouldn't be able to see how outnumbered they were, and so may be more confident, and he would have the element of surprise. To which Alexander famously responded, I will not demean myself by stealing victory like a thief. This may seem crazy, but it also makes sense. Alexander did not want to defeat Darius. He wanted to destroy Darius. Darius reasoned that when he had been defeated at Isis, it was due to the location of the battle, and therefore fought again. Alexander wanted to defeat Darius in conditions that favoured Darius, so that he would know that there was no hope at all for victory. That way, Alexander would be able to win the war, and not just the battle. Arian, who was a general, explains that night battles are unpredictable, and it could easily turn against him. And if they lost, or there was only an indecisive victory, then they would be a battered army in hostile and unfamiliar territory, and locals and prisoners alike would attack. Much safer to fight in the day. But then again, Alexander had a huge ego, and this may have been a part of his complete faith in himself. After this, his friends left him alone, and he went to sleep. When morning came, he had unusually not woken up. His officers decided to order the men to eat breakfast, and then checked on Alexander once his men had eaten. But he was still asleep. Parmenio called to Alexander a few times, and Alexander stirred. Parmenio asked Alexander how he could sleep as though they had already won, to which Alexander replied smiling. Why not? Do you not see that we have already won the battle? Now we are delivered from roving around these endless, devastated plains, and chasing this Darius, who will never stand and fight. Alexander was definitely confident with his plan. Noticeably, Darius didn't let his men rest that night, as Alexander did. He kept them in battle stations, fully expecting a night attack. By being armed all the way through the night, fear crept up and consumed the Persians. Rather than being fear from some sudden action, it was brooded upon, until their spirit was sapped. Darius was at the centre of his formation, 
as he was at Isis. He surrounded himself with the best of his infantry and archers, with the elephants just in front of his line. He had cavalry and chariots on either wing. The left wing was commanded by a satrap, called Bessus. Remember that name. Behind all of this was the majority of his infantry. Alexander had the phalanx at the centre of his army, with himself and Parmenio on either side, commanding the right wing and left wing respectively. On either side of them were some more cavalry and light troops, with a second reserve phalanx behind. The forces grew closer and closer. Alexander began moving over to his right, a move which the Persians counted. But Alexander kept marching towards the right, and kept going, and kept going, all the way to the edge of the area the Persians had flattened. The Persians didn't want to move onto the rougher ground, as their chariots would be useless, so they launched an attack against the Macedonian cavalry. A close battle ensued as the Persians fought back, but the Macedonians eventually got the upper hand. At this point, the Persians launched their scythe chariots against Alexander, but they were unsuccessful, simply struck down by Macedonian missiles, and drivers were killed by the cavalry. If any of them survived this, the infantry was ordered to break ranks and let them go through, to be killed by the royal guard and army grooms. So, the Persian left wasn't going well. Darius decided to launch his grand strategy. What plans did Darius have, you ask? Did he have any top-secret manoeuvres? Any hidden forces? Any courageous charge? No, no, and no. He was going to use his superior numbers to surround the Macedonians and kill them. Not the most imaginative plan, but it makes sense. He sent the main body of his infantry against the Macedonian infantry, and ordered the cavalry on his left to outflank the Macedonian right. How could that possibly go wrong? Well, the Persians moved around to attack him, which makes sense. But this creates a problem. Those troops moved to be able to outflank Alexander, and when they moved, they created a gap in the Persian line. This was what Alexander had been waiting for. He charged into that gap with his companions and his heavy infantry in that sector. Just like at the Granicus, and just like at Isis, the Persian line was pinned against the Macedonian infantry. And the just like at the Granicus, and the just like at Isis, Alexander had outflanked the main Persian line and was able to charge right into it, killing everything in his path. Alexander worked his way through the Persians, approaching the centre, and approaching Darius, at which point Darius fled, and Alexander chased. Alexander had shattered the Persian left wing, but there was still the Persian right to be dealt with. As Alexander advanced his phalanx forward, and to the right, early in the battle, 
he did something known as refusing a flank. He broke off the left of his phalanx to form a new diagonal line, which would protect his left wing. But as Alexander advanced forward with his right, Parmenio and this left wing couldn't keep up with the pace, and a gap appeared. And the Persian right, unaware that the left had been destroyed, plunged into the gap. Some cavalry fought their way towards Alexander's camp, where they were killed by the back lines. But others stayed forward and fought the Macedonians further forward. And Parmenio began to panic. He sent messengers to Alexander, hot on the heels of Darius, to come to the rescue. Which he did. Or did he? If Alexander was chasing Darius at his fastest speed, how could messengers, with a delayed start, possibly catch up? This leads to the question of... Where was Alexander? It has been argued that he returned to mop up the situation on the Macedonian right, but I think it's a more likely scenario that Alexander was already working his way round the back of the Persian right wing. Either way, as he arrived, he was faced by some of the cavalry who were retreating from Parmenio's battle. And in the words of Arian, the ensuing struggle was the fiercest of the whole action. One after another, the Persian squadrons wheeled in to the charge. Breast to breast, they hurled themselves on the enemy. Conventional cavalry tactics, manoeuvring, javelin throwing, were forgotten. It was every man for himself struggling to break through, as if in that alone lay his hope of life. Desperately, and without quarter, blows were given and received, each man fighting for mere survival without any further thoughts of victory or defeat. Dramatic. Alexander was once again victorious. He moved on to find that Parmenio on the left had fought off the Macedonian right. By now, the whole Persian army was in full retreat. And Alexander, once again, or for the first time, began the chase of Darius. Alexander marched until he crossed the Lycus, and then rested the men and horses, while Parmenio captured the Persian camp and its contents, including elephants. Once midnight came, Alexander pressed on to the town of Arbella, about 70 miles from the battle site. He reached the town the following day, but there was no sign of Darius. They did, however, capture Darius's treasure and his chariot, shield and bow for the second time. Arian estimated Macedonian losses at 100 and Persian at 300,000 with even more men captured. Surely an over-exaggeration, but it doesn't hide the fact that this was a brilliant victory for Alexander, which came before the month was out, fulfilling the earlier omen. Plutarch, although he does deviate from Arian in the telling of the story, highlighting the supposed mistakes of Parmenio, got one thing right at least. 
after the battle had ended this way, the authority of the Persian Empire was regarded as having been completely overthrown. Remember, you can find us online at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com where you can find battle maps and also a video of a BBC television show called Time Commanders. Time Commanders uses the game engine of the Rome Total War game to recreate ancient battles, and it lets group of the general public test their skills as a general. I absolutely adore the series, and as they do an episode about the Battle of Galgamela, I highly recommend you check it out. This video can also be found on the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash the history of podcast. You can find the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast and on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash the history of pod. If you have any questions you would like to ask, don't hesitate to email me at the history of podcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music. And thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the programme. I'm afraid there will be no new episodes next week, but join me in two weeks when we look at the aftermath of the Battle of Galgamela. <laughs>